Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So the Women's Football Podcast is back and this week we have got a very special show. I will be joined later on by Manchester City's Laura Coons. But first up, I have got her football hubs, Lauren Kaufman, joining me. How are things, Lauren? I'm doing well, excited to be on the podcast for the first time. Yes, good to have you. And we have also got Give Me Sport Women's Ollie Roberts. How's things, Ollie? Yeah, good. Thanks, Angelina. Thanks for having me back on today. Looking forward to it. No worries. Now, first up, let's talk about some of these international games and England. Lauren, it is very early days, but are you feeling good about England's new manager? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited personally for the new era. Obviously, the teams they played this week in the international window were not kind of the teams that they'll be maybe looking for, like, that are out there highest level and they'll be looking to beat when it comes to the Euros but it's still a good marker to put down to put them any that many goals past both teams is obviously important and what Serena did with the Netherlands is obviously very impressive so it's hard not to be confident and kind of looking forward to to the next few months. Yeah I definitely agree I mean Ollie what have you made of their performances because it's been been pretty good not too much to complain about. Yeah I mean I think Lauren touched on it there a bit it's quite hard to say because of the caliber of opposition England are coming up against on the surface of it we've scored 18 goals in two games so you can't really complain at that but I think there has been question marks over England's ability to maybe finish chances but overall I think there are definitely a lot of positives to take um I've been very impressed with Leia Williamson especially in midfield um, I like the look of the new manager as well. I already feel like we're playing slightly better football than we were doing before. So all in all, I think while it's hard to sort of take too much away from those two games, from what we have seen, there definitely seems to be promising signs. Yeah, I feel a lot more, I think, at ease. I feel like we've got the right person driving the bus now, <laughs> put it that way. Now, of course, Leah Williamson had the captain's armband on. Um, Lauren, do you see her as the captain of this side, potentially? Or do you think when Steph Orton's back, it should go straight back to her? I think it's a really interesting one. Personally, I think Steph will say will stay, but... I'm not sure if she should. I think kind of England over the last few years maybe haven't reached the heights that they were expected to, won the, won the silverware that people maybe hoped they would. And I think kind of we're at the stage with kind of new manager, a new start, and I think maybe kind of a new captain along with that is is what England need. Um, I've also seen quite a few people maybe saying that Lucy Bronze, when she's back from injury, might be the one to take the armband, which... I'd welcome, but I do think Leah is another really good option. I mean, she, um, you know, showed a good account of herself in the two matches. She did captain the side. Um, and I think her leadership skills are amazing. She's very commanding, um, a vocal presence on the pitch for Arsenal and England. So I definitely think she should be in the mix. I agree. Definitely uh, one of the main contenders, in my opinion. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um of course, England did get a great 8-0 win over North Macedonia. They delivered 48 shots at goal, 18 on target. Now, Ollie, can you see why there was maybe slight criticism 
you, not not criticism, not like there was hate or anything, but, you know, a little bit of a maybe we could have had more goals. You know, even Ellen White saying that she was disappointed that they didn't score more. Do you kind of get where they're coming from with that? Oh, yeah, I completely get where they're coming from because as I think I touched on before, when you're playing teams like that, I think you always have to look for areas to work on because when you just take the score lines for what they are, an 8-0 and a 10-0, it makes it look like it's a faultless performance. But if you think that way, when you come up against the better teams, uh, you could be made to pay. So you do need to look at what you can improve on. And I think finishing definitely was something in both of those games, really, which England could have done better. But uh, yeah, overall, I think, as I said before, definitely a lot of positives to take. And just on the, the Leah Williamson captaincy uh, sort of debate as well, I think I agree with, with Lauren. I think whilst sort of Steph Houghton is still good enough and fit enough to play for England, she should... She should remain with the captaincy. I think, obviously, Leia's the sort of person who long-term is probably going to take over, and it's nice to see her getting the opportunity already. But for now, I think sort of sticking with Steph is probably the way to go. Yeah. I mean, talking about, you know, the, the shots on target, they maybe should have scored more. I guess in the Luxembourg game, there were 18 shots on target again, according to the stats. So a few more did find the back of the net, 10 to be exact. Lauren, who was your player of the match in that game? Yeah, like you said, I think there was definitely an improvement in terms of kind of putting those shots away um, in the Luxembourg game. In terms of my player of the match, I mean, we've mentioned her a lot, so I can't I can't not mention her. And maybe maybe a bit of a weird one in a game that ended 10-0 to mention a more defensive player, but I think Leah Williamson was probably my player of the match. I think I personally love seeing her in that slightly higher-up role in midfield compared to centre-back. She's, you know, a top-class centre-back, but I think her skills on the ball, her passing range, her ability to link play um, is so much better utilised in midfield, and I'd love to see her there more. Um, and yeah, for me in the Luxembourg game, she was involved with everything in almost every goal. She was kind of there at some point in the play. Um, and I think, yeah, a lot, a lot of the goals did come through her. So I would, I would give her my player of the match trophy. I think, I think the England on the Twitter account, at least they seem to agree and she got it. Um, but yeah, I think obviously big shout out. I've got to mention Rachel Daly, obviously. I think, you know, her performances across the last two games were, you know, top class regardless of the situation but given everything she's been through I think um I'm just so happy she got a goal and you could see how much it meant to all the team not just her but definitely um a top two games from her as well yeah it was uh was quite an emotional moment and I I agree I'm really happy that that she got that goal now England's next match will be against Northern Ireland Ollie do you think that this is maybe a fixture we can get excited for because this will provide the team with maybe a a bit of a sterner test. Um, perhaps more of a test than we've seen in these two games. But I mean, I on the grand think... scheme of things, maybe not the sternest, <laughs> um, but sterner. I mean, I think uh, England played Northern Ireland last year and won 6-0, I think it was. So fairly comfortable in that respect. But I have seen sort of a noticeable improvement from Northern Ireland in recent times. Um, I mean, they only narrowly lost to Scotland. I think confidence is obviously high after they qualified for the Euros. They've got a, a number of good players, especially sort of uh, Furness. She's a very good player. Uh, so they've shown some glimpses. And as I said, I've definitely been more impressed with them. Uh, so, yeah, in a way, perhaps slightly more of a test. I'd still, 
expect England to to get the job done fairly comfortably. But um, yeah, I, I think a, a slight improvement maybe. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that one. Now, there's been another thing that's been talked about and, uh, you know, England's manager has spoken about it and kind of cautioned these plans about having the World Cup basically every two years. Now, this is something um, we've spoken about on One Football on the YouTube channel, um, more in reference to the men's game, but about how basically there's if this did happen, it would be like a tournament every summer. Um, you know, Serena's spoken about it and the toll that it would take on players. Uh, Lauren, just curious to get your opinion on this. Are you pro World Cup every five minutes or are you happy to wait four years? De- definitely not a fan, no. You, have, you haven't got a fan of that in me. I mean, I'm an Arsenal fan and to see Arsene Wenger kind of backing it was was not very disappointing, kind of, yeah. to, to say the least. Not what I expected from him, but for me, I mean, I think it's plain to see it's just all about the money for them and, and there's just no kind of care for player welfare and even more so in the women's game because, you know, all, all, all the talk is kind of what they think is best for the men's game. They'll say they, it's like with the with the European Super League, they'll say they have plans for the women's game, they'll say they care about it, but it's just putting, being shoved to the side and not being thought about Um, and, you know, I, yeah, I, I think at this stage we need to be focusing on the occasion every four years and caring obviously for the players and their welfare um but i also think as well with the women's game the other competitions in the middle that will kind of get pushed aside for this um world cup every two years are still really important to the women's game like uh, the olympics obviously isn't really a thing as much in the men's game obviously it's a bit of an under 23 tournament now um but for the women's game the olympics is so important to kind of gain more support um for the game and give these players this world stage to perform on and to see those kind of competitions pushed to the side um for kind of this world cup every two years that is going to kind of tire out the players probably put them at quite a lot um bigger risk of kind of injury and stuff um yeah it's not not what i want to see not hopefully not what a lot of people want to see and it's disappointing to see that they are really trying to push it through it seems yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way when I saw Wenger talking about it. I was like, mate, what are you playing at? Like, calm it down. We don't need to be be thinking about this. But yeah, I think um, it's a really good point about considering it more from the women's game and that perspective. It is, um, it would mean a, a lot more if it did happen, as in, like you say, the toll that it would take and the consequences of it, I think, would be would be a lot bigger. Ollie, are you going to tell us now that you're ready to uh, sign up to Wenger's support team for every two years? You better not. (laughs) Not at all. I think Lauren's hit the nail on the head there. I think this idea has sort of been banded about just as a money-making scheme and nothing more. They haven't really thought about the repercussions this is going to have on the players. They haven't thought about anything more than greed to be honest and as Lauren said as well when it comes to the women's games there's actually more major tournaments than the men have because yeah like the Olympics um, for the men it's only really an under-23s tournament for the women it's something that's taken very seriously um, and so there's already I mean we've, we've already seen this year just sort of how much of an impact it's had on players coming straight back from the Olympics and jumping straight into competitive football and to throw another major tournament on top of that would just be far too much so no uh, I certainly don't agree with Wenger on this one and um, I think the vast majority of us football fans seem to be in unanimous agreement that it shouldn't happen. 
Yeah, and I don't feel like my nerves could take a World Cup that often, to be honest. Uh, men's and women's, you know, games. Um, I mean, I guess with the women's team, I, I would feel a lot more comfortable. Um, but still, the anxiety I get with these tournaments, I don't need that in my life that often. Um, talking about Scotland now, and they ushered in the Pedro Martinez Los Aira with a deserved victory over Hungary in Budapest um, to kind of open their Women's World Cup qualifying campaign. Oli, this is, you know, another new manager. Are you feeling confident looking at how Scotland have played over the last week or so? Yeah, I, I think they've looked quite good. Um, they've obviously had a couple of good wins. The Hungary win especially uh, was a good result. Whether or not, I think it comes back to what we were saying about England and how much you can take out of that game against the Faroe Islands, I'm, I'm not so sure. Um, because even if I think if you look at their results before the new manager came in, they beat Cyprus 10-0 but then lost twice to Finland. So it comes back to what we were saying about sort of how competitive a lot of these nations actually are. But overall, I do think uh, Martinez Lowe's is a good appointment and a good manager. He's obviously had a lot of big jobs in the past, especially when he was at Arsenal. So he brings a lot of experience with him. And ultimately, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good appointment. Um, probably too early to say based on those two games alone uh, how much of an improvement they've made. But no, definitely certainly think that he can take them a long way. Yeah, I agree. Like you say, early days, but but so far, so good. Um, Lauren, what did you make of Erin Cuthbert's performances for Scotland? And, you know, maybe could you see her, you know, continuing to get good game time with Chelsea, looking at some of her recent performances for Chelsea and, you know, for Scotland? Yeah, I mean, surely she's got to be pushing, I think. I mean, even in that opening game against Arsenal, um, that loss, disappointing loss, obviously, um, for them, I think she was kind of one of their bright sparks in that game. Um, and obviously for Scotland, as you said, she was kind of across both games. Honestly, she she, she was everywhere. Um, I mean, I, I reckon she was probably their player of the match in both. Um, she scored in both games. She got an assist in both games. Um, kind of her link-up play is so important for Scotland. Um, and I think kind of the most important thing with her is, I think recently when she's been on the pitch, She's just constantly threatening. She's constantly making things happen with her runs, her movement. Um, and yeah, re honestly, she, she for me, she's looked like a new player so far this season. And yeah, I, I think she's got to be kind of knocking on Emma Hayes' door. And if she's not playing, saying, why aren't you playing me? <laughs> Haven't you been watching, watching my games? So um, definitely, I think it's kind of the best I've seen her in a while. And she's a great player. So I hope that continues. Obviously, she did go off injured at the end of the game she did get stretched off with some kind of head injury so just got to hope that that's not serious and that doesn't keep her out for too long or hopefully not at all and that she can continue that good form yeah I agree I'd, I'd be so intrigued I'd love to be a fly on the wall knocking on Emma Hayes's door like excuse me why are you not Probably playing me player every minute I think <laughs> I know oh um you know meanwhile looking at Northern Ireland quickly and you know things are looking good on and off the pitch for them Ollie what have you made of them during the qualifiers yeah so no I think they've been in they've been pretty good I think I mentioned this before but their confidence is obviously quite high after qualifying for the Euros uh, they only narrowly lost to Scotland recently as well uh, so certainly sort of seeing improvement and improvement from them and I wouldn't count them out for qualifying for the World Cup as well um, so yeah it's certainly getting better as I said before I don't think they'll be able to 
challenge England uh, when the sides do meet. I think England is still going to have too much for them. But yeah, overall, I think certainly seeing some signs of improvement. Yeah, definitely. And of course, you know, the nation played at Windsor Park for the first time since 2012. And this was a, a special moment for them, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's kind of the least they deserve given their last couple of years. And I mean, they won the game convincingly, which is obviously great for them to mark that moment. But it shows the commitment um, that Northern Ireland has shown to their women's team. And, you know, it's a great reward for their progress under Kenny Shields, which has been massive. And they've been rewarded with the Euros at the end of the year, which, you know, yeah, um, like Ollie said, I'm not sure that um, there'll be quite a match for England. But I'm so excited to see how they do at the Euros. I think they can upset some teams. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how they do. Now, of course, there's been a, a piece of news uh, about um, Northern Ireland. Their captain, Marissa Callahan, has said that they're in talks with the Irish FA about the potential for equal pay for the international men's and women's sides. Now, of course, the Republic of Ireland have announced that match fees for men and women um, are going to be the same. So hopefully, you know, it will follow suit for Northern Ireland. Ollie, this will be, you know, a big move if they can achieve this, won't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, personally, I think equal pay at international level should be a prerequisite for all countries. Yeah. Um, but I remember last year when Northern Ireland did play England, they couldn't actually field their full strength team because from memory, the game was in midweek, at sort of in the middle of the afternoon. And a lot of the players couldn't even afford to take the time off work, which is, is just a real shame, really, when you've got this international fixture and you're not actually seeing both sides at full strength uh, because they can't actually afford to do it. So, like you say, I think it would be a massive step in the right direction if they can do it. Uh, we're seeing a few clubs sort of outside of inter or a few domestic clubs start doing this as well. I know Lewis FC, uh, they've taken steps to play both their men's and women's teams uh, equal as well. And I think it takes sort of a number of different sides to step up and actually do this for then others to take note and do the same. So fingers crossed we can see this sort of thing happen and then other countries, other teams can follow suit. Yeah, I mean, here's hoping. I've, I've got my fingers crossed for them that they can achieve that. Um, looking now at Wales, and they got a great win over Kazakhstan and they managed to hold on to um, a win over Estonia. Lauren, do you think that the Kazakhstan game was a boost that they needed? And were you a little bit concerned watching that Estonia game that they were unable to actually manage to add to that one goal that they got so early on? Yeah, I think the Kazakhstan game was a big boost. One of the kind of areas that Wales have struggled with, I think, in recent times has been in front of goal and um, getting those goals that they need. So in the Kazakhstan game, they were definitely not short of goals. Um, so that will be a boost in kind of that way. And I think the players are speaking so highly of Gemma Granger and, and their time under her so far, which is obviously great to hear. Um, in terms of the Estonia game, obviously... Despite the score, um, the only being 1-0, it was definitely a comfortable win. And I don't think they ever looked at risk of, of not kind of getting the win. Um, but they just couldn't break them down, which obviously needs to be the aim for them. And again, it's the goals um, kind of situation that they need to keep working on. Um, but yeah, it is definitely still a concern. I think Estonia earlier this year um, beat... Um, Slovi um were beaten 9-0 by Slovenia, um, who are obviously not exactly you know a top team. 
um, in women's football. So it's definitely concerning and definitely kind of still needs improvement. But it's still a win and it keeps the momentum, which is, I think, the most important part for Wales. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you on that one. I mean, you know, talking about uh, Gemma Granger early and, you know, since she's been in charge, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. I know that, um, you know, in their more recent friendlies before these qualifiers, you know, they've had, you know, two losses, a draw. But are you confident that she can get them to the World Cup? I think so, because mm. I looked at their group and I do think that they're better than all the teams in it, apart from France. Uh, uh, they've got Greece, Estonia, Kazakhstan, and I do think they're better than all of them. And also, you touched on sort of the two losses and a draw, I think it was, in, in the friendlies before this. But if you actually look at who they played, the opposition they came up against was quite tough. The, mm. They played Scotland and uh, narrowly lost to them. But then they drew against Denmark, which is actually a very good result when you consider sort of the strength of the Danish team. And then they lost 3-0 to Canada. But when you consider Canada or the new Olympic gold medalist, I don't think that result actually looks that bad. So, yeah, overall, I think that they definitely do have enough to make it to the World Cup. Um, certainly better than a lot of the teams in those groups. And while I think that they might struggle against France, um, yeah, no, you'd hope that they manage to finish second in that group. Yeah, I agree. I think second has got to be got to be the aim. I mean, if they can finish above France, then that that would be great as well. Um, but you know, looking at all the uh, you know some of the other nations in Europe, the usual suspects like France, for example, Spain, Germany, etc., celebrated some big wins. Now, the Czech Republic did manage to hold the Netherlands to a draw and got you know a, a big win over Cyprus. Lauren, the Czech Republic isn't always a nation that, I guess, springs to the forefront of everyone's minds when, you know, talking about the best in Europe. They didn't qualify for the Euros, but do you think that they could still be a team to watch for the future, perhaps? Yeah, I think, obviously, like you said, they've had some strong results recently, that one about the Nether um, against the Netherlands standing out. Um, I think they have a lot of attacking threat and they're very good in front of goal. Uh, again, you know, 8-0 against Cyprus um, is pretty telling in that regard. Um but yeah, I think kind of the reason probably that we don't hear so much about them is they're kind of um, stacked with players from the Czech League, which is obviously not a league we know too much about. It's not one of the top leagues in Europe, but they are supplemented by some other kind of strong players like Svitkova from West Ham, who is obviously injured at the moment, but she's a top player. And when she's back, that'll give them even, you know, another boost. And um, Statskova, I think is how you say her name, I hope, um, who plays for Juventus, um, was really impressive in, in these qualifiers. So players like that will definitely push them forward. I think, you know, don't want to kind of get ahead of ourselves with that. And I think they will still struggle. And yeah, like you said, it's maybe one for the future rather than now. Um, um, but there's definitely promise there. I mean, obviously, the Netherlands game, it's hard to kind of judge with their new manager. They've struggled a bit this international window. But yeah, definitely watch out for the Czech Republic, um, especially when Svitkova comes back from her injury, because that will give them yeah, a really big boost. Yeah, 100%. Um, looking at another team now, and for Spain, there is, my apologies if I say her name incorrectly, but Amayor Sarigue. Now, she scored four goals in Spain's first win. She scored two goals in their win last night. The Real Sociedad player is only 20 years old. She's absolutely killing it. Amongst other Spanish players, last season she finished with 13 goals. 
when you look at that Spain team, Ollie, they have got some really amazing goal scorers, don't they? Oh, yeah. I mean... They've got a conveyor belt of options, really. I think their their biggest problem is actually sort of deciding who to play. It's not actually. I mean, they've got they've got too many to pick from, as you say. So, I mean, when you look at it, you've got Esther Gonzalez. I know you're a massive fan of uh, of her, Angelina, yes. and uh, Jenny Hermoso. Obviously, it was just outstanding for Barcelona last year and I mean they're just the forward options you, you look at some of the midfielders they've got who sort of a, a goal scorer midfielders in many ways as well the likes of uh, Patelas and Lasada, and they just have so many options and uh, it's actually quite scary to think about. Yeah it is really kind of crazy when you look at all those players and especially you know so many players uh, that are Barcelona players as well that have, have played together and Things like that, it's, um, yeah, they're definitely going to be ones to watch. Now, looking at these World Cup qualifiers, Lauren, did any teams or players in particular, you know, like really impress you or catch your eye? I mean, yeah, other than the kind of ones we previously said, just talking about Spain, Staskova for um, the Czech Republic, Aaron Cuthbert, other than those that we've already mentioned, I'd say Denmark were very impressive to me. Um, like I think Ollie mentioned earlier, they drew with Wales quite recently, so not always had kind of the results they're looking for in the past, but they did really well in this international window, a couple of big wins. I think um, one thing obviously to mention is Peniel Harder uh, breaking the Denmark goals record, which was obviously very impressive and a long time coming for her Um, and Signa Bruyne um, being back for them and fit um, and healthy, I think is going to be massive. She obviously had, um, did her ACL and had injury struggles through 2020 and then Last year was kind of getting back to her best and getting back fit. Um, but now she's with Leon um, as well. And for club and country, I think we're really going to see the best of her. And, you know, that's going to really, really give Denmark a boost. Not not that they need it with um, Peniel Harder up front. Um, I think as well, Steen and Larson got a hat-trick in the last game. I, I don't think we really saw um, the best of her at all for Aston Villa last season in the WSL. So it's really nice to see her doing well for Denmark um, because she is an impressive player. Yeah, definitely. There's some some good names there. Ollie, without being, you know, a Debbie Downer, but did did any teams or players during the qualifiers leave you maybe a little bit concerned about qualifying or performances? Um, well, I think when you look at the results, there were quite a lot of resounding victories and mm. that speaks to what we were saying before about sort of the golfing quality between a lot of the teams. But one result which did take me by surprise uh, was the Netherlands draw with the Czech Republic. We've Mm. already touched on the Czech Republic, obviously, and sort of how improved they've been and some of the players they've got. But to see Netherlands draw with them, I think, was still a massive surprise because Netherlands, obviously, one of the best, uh, one of the best nations in the world sort of I predicted them to go all the way at the Olympics and it didn't quite happen for them but when you look at the quality they've got on the team the form Needham has been in you would have thought you know quite a comfortable victory for them but when you consider that they've lost Weigman to England now they've had a new manager come in I'm not saying I'm concerned about them qualifying in any way Uh, I think that they're still probably going to win the group but it was interesting to see actually the fact that they could only sort of muster a draw against the, the Czech Republic so that was probably the most surprising result that I saw. Yeah and I guess especially when you think that their their manager is splitting his time between you know, the US and, uh, you know, his his job with the Netherlands, it's 
seems a little bit, I don't know, chaotic and hopefully uh, th- they can figure that out. Um, one other uh, fixture that took place in these international games was over in South America, Brazil and Argentina, who faced each other in two friendlies in the space of about three days, which is quite strange, but whatever. Um, Brazil won both fixtures, which... I think women's football in South America is a completely different topic. We could probably do a podcast on that alone. Um, And I know from, you know, speaking to a few people, um, you know, from the continent, you know, Brazil did win both fixtures, which I guess is kind of to be expected when you compare the amount of support that the women's team has in Brazil versus the Argentinian uh, team. But Lauren, looking at Brazil's team, I mean, there are some real stars in that team. I mean, there's a player called Angelina, which, you know, speaks for itself. Um, But do you think that looking outside of Europe and obviously, you know, you talk about Canada, you talk about the US as being big contenders, but thinking ahead to the World Cup, do you think that obviously depending uh, how Marta's looking at that point uh, age-wise, but could they, you know, be a big contender to maybe upset a few things? I'm actually not too sure, you know. I, I, I. To be honest, I've been quite underwhelmed by Brazil over the last few years. Mm. I think they do have kind of those big names, those big stars. Marta, obviously, but Dabinha is, for me, one of the best midfielders, attacking players in in the world at the moment. Angelina's done well in these qualifiers. Obviously, got of to course. drop the name. Um, um, but despite kind of these big names, I just don't think it's always clicked for them mm. recently um, very well. Um, we saw it at the Olympics, um, kind of thought they were going to do quite a lot better than they ended up doing. They did have a tough group, but um, I was expecting more from them. And I think that's just kind of been how I felt about them recently. So I think they do have to, despite the kind of good results against Argentina, I think they will have to do quite a lot to kind of upset the way things are and the standings at the moment when we come to the World Cup. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess, see what happens in the next few years, maybe they can pull it together. But yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think the Olympics was um, was maybe, you know, a bit of an eye opener. And maybe that'll give them a bit of a kick. You know, who knows? And who knows? Yeah, we'll see. But I mean, Ollie, how important is it you know, for, you know, the future of women's football and the popularity of it, you know, across the globe, that we do actually see these kind of big international games. I mean, Brazil versus Argentina, it's one of the biggest, you know, games that, that people watch across the world. But, you know, it's it's important that we see these kind of games, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Um, I think Weigman touched upon it in her press conference for England the other day that to attract more fans to the women's game we need to be showcasing the best teams playing Mm. each other and while I'm not against teams like England playing against some of these smaller nations because it will help them financially and you know it might help some of their players to sort of announce themselves and showcase themselves on, on the world stage I think it's really really important that it's not commonplace and that we do see the best teams in the world challenging each other more and more i'm really happy that they've announced this new tournament in february um i think they've still got to confirm the last team but it's going to be nice actually seeing england face some of these top opposition and going back to what we were speaking about at the start of the podcast that's going to be a lot more of a better indicator on where England are and how much they're progressing under Weigman as opposed to these two games against North Macedonia and Luxembourg. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely massive. Um, and fingers crossed, yeah, we can see more of these big teams go up against each other. 
Yeah, here's hoping. Now, um, we've spoken about these international games. We'll have a quick look ahead now to the weekend's fixtures because there are some big games. Now, first up in the Women's Super League, Manchester United prepare to host Chelsea. It's going to be a huge fixture. I am hopefully going to be at the game. Let's hope I don't end up crying. (laughs) Now, Lauren, for Manchester United, do you think that this will give them a clear indication of where they truly are in this moment compared to the best in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you I don't think they quite had the kind of eye-catching window that um, you know, City, Chelsea, or maybe maybe not so much Chelsea actually, but <laughs> City and Arsenal definitely and Everton had. Um and obviously the managerial change, um Casey Stoney was so popular around the league. Um, going Mark Skinner coming in with after a not not so great time in Orlando and obviously kind of the controversy of the end of last season with the conditions and the kind of backing of the women's team things are kind of like weren't looking so great for United but they have done really well they put on um, some great performances at the start of the season and I still despite kind of everything that's gone on I don't think you can count them out especially with players like Ella Toon and the form she's in Um, but yeah this, this game will be kind of the one to look out for to really see where they are, if they are still up there with those top teams and ready to compete, or if they're going to need to have a bit of a rethink and kind of, um, you know, get back to basics and maybe go again next summer in the transfer window. But I definitely think they they still have the ability to compete. But we'll, we'll see if I'm right this weekend. I hope you're right for my uh, for my well being. Um, Ollie for Chelsea, this is a must win, isn't it? I mean, they can't. Looking at how tight things were you know, last season, you know, at the top of the table, they can't really afford another slip-up, can they? No, and it sounds almost ridiculous saying that after two games of the season. Yeah. That a a game... (laughs) No more losses allowed. But in a way, yeah, it it kind of is, because you have to think that it's between Chelsea, City and Arsenal to win the league this year. Sorry to Manchester United fans, but don't think they're quite there. Um, but when you consider that they've already played Arsenal and lost to Arsenal, I, I can't see Arsenal losing that many more games uh, mm. uh, until the two sides meet again. So, yeah, they can't really afford another slip-up. And it's going to be a tough test against Man United because they've surprised me. They've done a lot better than I thought they might do. Um, it's been important for them to start the season well after their sort of underwhelming window, like Lauren touched upon. They'd lost quite a few of their key names from last year. Uh, but definitely, definitely a massive game for Chelsea because if they've lost to United and Arsenal in two of their opening three games, then it's going to be really tough for them to come back. It will be. Um, now, Lauren, realistically... How do you see this game finishing? And do you think I'm maybe grasping at straws in hoping that maybe Man United's crowd could play a role? Of course, they had over 2,000 supporters at their first home game of the season. Yeah, I mean, the the crowd at United are going to uh, play a big part. I mean, I don't think you'll meet a WSL fan that doesn't know about the Barmy Army and, you know, doesn't know about that those United fans. And we the have UK. their leader, Nat, on the podcast sometimes. I'm sure uh, I'll, I'll be roped in at the weekend with her. So <laughs> I'll be coming exactly, on her, I remember. You know, they play such a big part. The fans, um, the fans and the players are so close and... Um, yeah, no, I think it will definitely play a big part, and it's a it's a hard place to go. They want that that's kind of their aim. They want to make it a hard place to go, um, and even travelling as well. Um, you know, they have such a big travelling contingent. So definitely, um, I mean, if I'm honest, 
I do think it's going to be a Chelsea win. I'm sorry, oh. but I do think it'll be tight. I think it'll be tighter than people expect. Um, and I think, you know, it will be about whether um, Man United can nullify those attacking threats from Chelsea, those so many attacking threats they do have. Um, and if they can do that, then who knows? Because they do have kind of attacking threats of their own. Um, yeah, in Elatoon and Leah Galton, um, Kirsty Hansen especially. Um so yeah, if if they can if they can put in a really strong defensive performance, then I reckon they've got a shot. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a tight Chelsea win on this one. I'll take that. That's okay. Um, Ollie, have you got a, a key player for me uh, for each team going into this game? Oh well, I'm gonna go with a couple of, of boring ones, and they're probably the ones that you might expect. But for Man United, I think. Obviously, the key player for them is going to have to be Ella Toon. Mm. Uh, she's been great for them so far this season. And I think it was just so key that they managed to hold on to her this summer. I know that they lost Lauren James, but I actually think that if you ask Man United fans now which one of them they'd rather kept, uh, a lot of them would probably would probably say Toon now, given how well she's doing. So definitely her uh, as a key for Manchester United and then for Chelsea I'll, I'll, I'll be quite boring as well and I'll just say Sam Kerr because if she's firing on all cylinders and Man United can't stop her then I think Chelsea are probably going to have the edge and be quite hard to beat but if United can nullify her and uh, stop her from scoring then they're going to have every chance so yeah for me they're, they're going to be two of the key players. Yeah, definitely. Now, elsewhere, Arsenal are set to face Manchester City. It hasn't been the best, you know, week or two for City. Um, but, Ollie, do you think that this is this is a perfect opportunity for them to bounce back now? I think so, yeah. I think the international break uh, has probably been a good thing for them because they were obviously on this quite bad run of form. Um, the result against Madrid... And then that loss to Tottenham, which sort of came out of nowhere, really. And I mean, I won't go into the sort of contentious decisions and stuff in that game, but confidence must have been at sort of an all-time low. And like we were saying with Chelsea, they sort of go into this game it's sort of a must-win now. Um, mm. If they want to sort of keep pace uh, with, with Arsenal. Um, so, yeah, I think it's come at the right time for them. I think they probably had a chance. To, to reset and look at things again the only problem for them is going to be their injury list because I think I saw it yesterday and I can't remember every single name off the top of my head but they have a huge amount of injuries to deal with now mm. uh, and that's going to be their main problem yeah definitely I mean Lauren for Arsenal you know last season they were kind of you know playing catch up to City and Chelsea they've of course already beaten Chelsea if they win this game bias aside would you consider them favorites to win the title surely oh you're putting me on the spot here <laughs> like anything I say I'm gonna jinx it but um no I think for me I don't think you can quite call it at this stage of the season even though you know in the WSL with less games everything is so tight but I think yes it, it would put them in a in a good position maybe you could even say the driving seat maybe favourites but I don't <laughs> want to go all out there and, and and say it but it definitely puts them in a good position especially given kind of Arsenal's issues in the last couple few years being kind of against those big teams and not getting those 
those wins against the big teams, they've kind of had, they have a great record against kind of the other teams in the league, but it is those games against Chelsea and Man City that have pulled them back and, and meant they aren't competing for titles. So to have that win already against Chelsea, um, and if they were able to get one against Man City, they would be in, you know, a strong position going into the rest of the season for sure. Yeah, 100%. So, like I say, big games in the Women's Super League. Cannot wait to see uh, some of those results. Maybe I can wait for the Man United-Chelsea result. I don't know. Um, Meanwhile, over in Spain, um, Real Madrid have got a very big game against Granadilla-Tenerife. Now, you wouldn't normally think of Tenerife as being a, a massive game, but of course, Real are bottom of the table at the moment. Ollie, we've just been talking about it, but again, this is another must win. Yeah, and I'm going to say almost the same thing that I said before. It sounds stupid to say so early on in the season, but if they want to have any chance uh, of winning the league this year, then this one really is a must win uh, because Barcelona aren't going to slip up very much, if at all. Um, so to keep pace with them, they really do have to win. In all honesty, though, uh, I don't really I mean I personally never really considered them contenders for this year at least Mm. I know we've seen them do quite well in Europe obviously beating Man City but when you consider how well Barcelona did last year and just how clear or how far away and how clear they were of the rest of the opposition uh, it would be a monumental achievement for Real Madrid to actually challenge them this year I think the key for them is to keep improving I mean the club was only formed recently a matter of years ago uh so for them it's just about continuing to improve and if they can build on how they did last season then i think that'll be a step in the right direction for them but still they don't want to start the season with uh three consecutive uh defeats so uh, yeah important that they get some points on the board it really is now lauren are you feeling confident for real madrid or do you think that tenerife could maybe squeeze a point out of them considering Real's confidence in the league at least might not be at its highest. I'd love to say yes, but I'm going to say I think the golf's a bit too big on this one. You know, um, some of the teams that Real have been playing um, have still been pretty good teams that they've been losing Mm. to, top teams. um, And I think they still can take confidence from that, that Champions League win against Man City. Um, which was um, big and obviously they have the Champions League to look forward to now. So I think they can still try and take some confidence from that. And I think in in this case, I think they will get get the one they need. Yeah, I, I also am feeling confident um, and I need to say that because our Real Madrid fan Alejandro would be livid if we, he thought that we were not backing his Real Madrid team. Um, now, meanwhile, over in France, we will see Paris FC play PSG. Lauren, Paris FC are unbeaten so far in the league, but I think it's safe to say that PSG will probably just end that, do you reckon? Yeah, I think so. Although they had a bit of a, a heavyish defeat to Lyon fairly recently, a few games ago. Um, a few games ago, sorry. And in the last couple of games, um, they've only kind of had quite narrow wins. So obviously, you know, they're definitely favourites and I think it's quite likely they will. But I think... I'd like to say an upset could be on the cards. I'm mm. gonna, I'm gonna, st- um, you know, stick my head out on this one and and say that there there could be a little bit of an upset. But PSG are of course massive favourites. Yeah, I mean, looking at PSG, they have a new manager in Didier Olinicole. Oli, despite having you know 
recently been associated with teams further down the men's pyramid that maybe need to get back on track. For me personally, I don't know if that fills me with confidence of him taking over a, a massive, um, you know, w- women's team. But how are you feeling about it? And do you think that he's got what it takes to make sure that PSG don't slip in, basically keeping up with Leon? Am I back? So, yeah, you're back. Did so, you hear the question? Uh, yeah, I did hear the question. Sorry. Okay, so, yeah, no worries. I have to say, I, I think it's a a strange appointment because mm. you, you touched upon it, Angelina, that he hasn't exactly had that much success when he's managed men's teams. Uh, he's been, oh, he's had so many jobs in management as well, and he he doesn't he hasn't tended to have done that well there. So to suddenly get such a, a big job in the women's game and to sort of follow in the footsteps um, or try and sort of replicate PSG's success from last year, uh, it's a bit of a strange one for me. I I think. It's going to be quite hard to judge him until they meet Lyon because as much as uh, I'd like to think there might be an upset against Paris, uh, I think PSG probably still do have what it takes to beat them. Uh, so the main the main test is actually going to be when they do come up against Lyon because they obviously got the better of them last year, both in the league uh, and in the Champions League. But if you look at sort of their most recent game, whether or not you can read too much into friendlies, I don't know. But Lyon absolutely thrashed them in a friendly mm. over the summer. Uh, so it's a weird one and yeah as, as as I say it's a weird appointment on paper for me but maybe it'll work out we'll, we'll wait and see yes and of course finally in Italy AC Milan are going to face Sassuolo now Sassuolo finished only one point behind Milan in third place last season so here's hoping that you know when you look at the fact that all of their games so far this year against each other have been draws, I'm really, really hoping that they will be able to give us something, Lauren. Do you think we're going to get something more than a draw? I hope so. I think, you know, AC Milan have obviously had a great start to the season there in first. Um, But, you know, Sassuolo have also had a good start. You know, they had a really good win against Fiorentina. They've had some other good wins as well. They're only fifth. So not too far behind. It's only been three games, so the the points are very close at the moment. Um, So it's a tough game, but I do think given AC Milan's start, I think we're going to see a win for them. That, that that's what I'm hoping and break yeah. kind of break the mold of the of the last few games between the two teams here's hoping of course Inter Milan will be facing Roma now we've seen much more encouraging football so far from Inter you know we've spoken about it on the podcast before about um you know them being able to keep up with the likes of Juventus Milan etc now Oli for Roma you could argue that this is maybe their first real test of the season do you think that they can make it four wins from four yeah, I do. Um, as you say, I think it's definitely their, their toughest test of the season so far. Both sides have started the league quite well. Uh, I have been particularly impressed uh, with Inter as well. Um, just having seen clips of them, they've got uh, some impressive players up front. They've got Gloria Marinelli, who scored three and three for them so far. So I think she could be a threat. So, yeah, I do think on paper, Roma probably do have the slight edge and I'd back them to sort of make it the perfect start or continue their perfect start to the season, but certainly going to be their toughest test so far. Yeah, I mean, looking at this inter-team, Lord, do you think that um, do you think that having Rita Guarino at the helm will prove to be key for them this season? Definitely. I mean, 
just like Roma, you know, they're three from three so far. They're just behind them, fourth in the table, um, only separating on goal difference. Um, but I think Guarino led um, Juve to their first ever title when she was manager um, there. She has such a good record with them um, and such a strong tenure there, um, that first title and then another one last season. So I think, you know, she is, I think, the right person to lead them to a really strong season. Um, and I hope that they do well under her. Yeah, here's hoping. Um, it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, what her expect expertise can uh, bring to this Inter team because you know you want the the best teams to be to be up there competing one hundred percent. Now we are only three games into the league, but you know to see Juventus, Milan, Roma, Inter, and Sassuolo all level on points, it it is encouraging. Obviously, like I say, we're only three games in. Ollie, you know, we've spoken about this on the podcast before, but do you think after looking at these games, is there any chance, do you think, this season that we will see a more competitive Serie A or do you think eventually the weaker teams will just reveal themselves? I, I definitely think the league's getting more competitive and you can see that from, from what you've just said about the league table. There's a number of teams which... Uh, have seemingly improved this season. We've touched on a few of them already in Roma and Inter. Uh, in recent seasons as well, we've seen teams like Milan start improving. Ultimately, do I think that Juventus will still win the league? Yes, I do. I think they're still by far and away the best team in the league and that will eventually sort of shine through and they'll prevail. But across sort of the rest of the league, if you were going to ask me who I think we're going to finish second now, I don't think I'd be able to tell you. So I think teams sort of from all across the league beginning to get better and maybe in a few seasons time, we'll see a few of them starting to challenge Juventus. Uh, but for now, yeah, I think Juve is still still some way clear. Yes, well, the the race for second is on in, in Syria. It will be interesting to see how that turns out. Um, and yeah, thank you both for joining me this week um, to chat about those international games and the upcoming games. And uh, hopefully we can chat again soon about some of these... Uh, some of these results and hopefully I won't be crying to you all on the podcast about Man United after the weekend. Hopefully an Arsenal win too, so. <laughs> and a West Ham win, we'll of throw course. that in there as well. <laughs> so this week on One Football, I have got a very special guest. I have got Manchester City player Laura Coombs joining me. Laura, great to speak to you. Hi, thanks for having me. No worries. Well, first off, congratulations on the recent contract extension with City until 2023. What does being a Manchester City player mean to you? Um, and was it an easy decision to, you know, just sign on that dotted line straight away? Um, I, it, it was an easy decision, really. I, I'm settled here as away from football. I'm settled here with football. I feel like I'm progressing how I want to within the team so for me it was it was a pretty easy decision I, I didn't really want to look elsewhere um and in terms of being a Man City player it's everything that I grew up wanting to be you know I wanted to be in a professional environment with great facilities it's anything a young footballer wants to wants to be in so it was it was a natural decision for me yeah definitely I mean you've mentioned it before in interviews and you know you just touched on it then about how at the club, you and your teammates are treated as ultimate professionals. Was this one of your motivations, um, obviously, for staying at City? And 
how important do you think that that is for a female footballer to feel that sense of being treated like an ultimate professional? Yeah, it just makes you feel like what you're doing is, it really means something. And I remember the first time I was shown around the facilities there, I was blown away because I'd, I'd been at Good Cobs before and maybe they are treated like that as well now, but it was just something at the time I'd never seen before the the what we had access to and the staff we had access to the facilities the equipment the gym like yeah I was I was blown away so for me I was just like I need to I need to be there I need to that's gonna help me grow my game 100% I can totally I, I can see where you're coming from with that because being a being a Mancunian I've seen the the facilities that they've got and it is um you know really really special I mean yeah. over you know the last few years I feel like just as as a football fan unfortunately I'm, I'm not very gifted when it comes to actually playing football <laughs> but you know just as a fan there seems to have been you know a shift with women's football especially this season and obviously these stats have come out that there was a record 1.5 million people that tuned in to watch the opening weekend of the Women's Super League fixtures on BBC and Sky Sports. Um, you know, being somebody who has been playing in the UK during so many changes, you know, over the last decade, do you feel like the sport is heading in the right direction? And would you agree with the statement that it's perhaps, you know, one of the most exciting times at the moment to be a female footballer? Yeah, I, I think that's so great that the stats from the opening weekend, I hope that we can keep pushing those numbers as well with um, exciting fixtures coming up. But I, I think every year I, I feel like I get asked maybe a similar question and I just, the answer is yes, really. I, I Every year I think it's getting better, the league's getting better. Another year of full training, new youngsters coming in, new young bloods coming up, talent. And I just think every year it is the game's getting pushed. I just think it's really exciting to see where where it's going to go, you know, sort of 10, 10 years down the line when 14, 15-year-olds have been like full-time since they were young. I, yeah, it's, it's just great. And hopefully it's, um, you know, it can be a real career choice for young girls now. 100%. I think definitely that idea of thinking what's, what's not just happening now, but what's to come in the future, it is, you know, really exciting. Now... Before the new season, you had quite a bit of praise coming your way, you know, from your manager, your teammates, especially last season, you were described as the unsung hero. Um, from, from what I understand, word on the street in Manchester, you know, you're a popular figure in the dressing room. You've been praised for your attitude, your talent, and now you've been given this contract extension. How does it feel when you have teammates and a manager that say such nice things and do you feel like your hard work is paying off and you're kind of reaping the the benefits of it yeah it's it's really nice to hear that because I, I wouldn't have ever said that about myself to be honest but I just think with my career I've always really tried to work really hard and I know um I may not be the most talented in the team but what I will always bring every week is the best that I can do and the best that I can be sort of in training and in games and then I can leave feeling like I've done the most I can do so it's, it's nice that other people um see that and also it's it's good for others to see that you know you can get to these places without having like ridiculously high skill <laughs> not saying that I'm not high school but you know what I'm I was gonna to say, say don't be you know don't be putting yourself down <laughs> yeah no but I'm just saying you don't have to be like 
I don't know, a messy to be at the top. Yeah, I get what you mean, definitely, that there are other qualities that you need to be successful and it's not just about, like you say, maybe a messy kind of skill. It's it's other yeah. things that come into it, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'll be honest, you know, Manchester United fan, I, I owned it before we hit record on this. Um, yeah, but it's okay, it's fine. Now, I'll be honest, I was very, very jealous about the summer arrivals um, at the blue side of Manchester. One signing that I personally, um, being Jamaican, I was buzzing to see Khadija Shaw had signed, uh, just to have her in the Women's Super League, amazing. Of course, you've got Vicky Lozada, Ruby Mace, um, amongst others that you guys have signed. It must be a very happy camp at Manchester City, seeing these players, you know, arrive. How, how did it feel to know that these players were arriving and is everyone settling in and stuff? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you touched on Barney there. She's, she's a great character and a great addition to our team. She's re- ridiculously strong and just... <laughs> absolute bulldozer in training I love it it's great and um, she's going to be a real great addition for the league as well because she's she plays a different style to maybe any other striker really in the league that I can think of um, and yeah our other additions they're certainly really nice we've brought in great people as well as great players so they're they've settled in really quickly and yeah the squad the squad loves them already so yes happy camp yeah, definitely. And and that's good, you know, to bring in, like you say, good people, not just good players. It's mm. always going to be a nice feeling. Um, it seems like, you know, from an outsider looking in, like there really is that great team spirit with Manchester City. And, you know, if results maybe aren't going your way, if it's been a tough week and, you know, those kind of low moments as well, do you think that that team spirit is really a key part of being a Manchester City player and that feeling of togetherness is kind of what helps you guys push through? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the levels that we want to hit are so high. So it is um, naturally disappointing when we have a bad result. And yeah, obviously we expect more of ourselves. But coming together, I think this year as well, especially we are, we're really together. And it's been a hard start, but I think we're all in agreement that this is just the start of the season there's so much more to come there's so much to play for this year and we're all yeah in agreement that that's what we're aiming for yeah definitely I mean already you know there's been some you know some surprising results some controversial moments it's it's all been happening already you know we're only a few games into the season do you think that this could maybe be one of the most competitive title races in recent years and do you feel like after getting so close to winning the title last year that this team now has what it takes and, and that, if anything, last season gives you that extra push? Yeah, I think we've got resilience. I think we've two years now, last two years have come one point away, I think both years. And, you know, every preseason we come back and we're like hungry and determined to get to the top so I I think as a bunch we are pretty resilient and in terms of um, the league I I think it's so competitive I think most teams on their day could be any other team Um, everyone's having the same amount of training now so there's you know everyone's well drilled got the tactics and technically getting better as well so it makes for exciting watching definitely and um, yeah just hope that we turn up every week (laughs) 
yeah definitely like you say it's, it is very uh, very exciting times at the moment uh, to to just be watching let alone playing um now you started your career out with Arsenal um you you've said that you're an Arsenal fan um growing up is that who you've always supported and who was your favorite footballer growing up um uh, yeah I've but I've been an Arsenal fan, yeah, as long as I can remember, really. But my favourite player growing up, it was it was actually Cesc Fabregas. I didn't really have a favourite favourite player before that. For Arsenal, it was Cesc Fabregas. And then actually, weirdly, I, I've never supported Chelsea, but one of my favourite players was Gianfranco Zola. He was like a little magician. I just used to love watching him, but then didn't really like Chelsea. So, yeah, I was a bit conflicted as a young <laughs> But, um, yeah, so, yeah. I'm going to go with Sesk. We'll forget the Gianfranco bit, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like me, you know, when I'm, I'm watching <laughs> Phil Foden play football and I'm like, God, he's yeah. really good, isn't he? But yeah, like, no, Angelina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just can't deny the talent sometimes, no matter it's who you're playing for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, very envious of this, uh, but you did spend some time over in America, um, in LA, playing football. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on what you make of the upcoming arrival of Angel City FC over in the USA? Because obviously there's a lot of big names behind it. They've got the first sign in. It seems like a pretty exciting project. Yeah, I think they've been trying to get an LA team for, well, since I was there, I know a lot of people were wanting professional football to be back in LA. So I'm, I'm really glad it is. It's a great place. And um, I, I hope they do really well. I think whoever goes there is very lucky <laughs> to be uh, living and playing in a place like that. So yeah, it'd be great for the, great for the game. I think there'll be a lot of interest from players wanting to go there as well. So. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah, I mean, LA life, playing football doesn't sound yeah. too shabby at all, really, I guess. No. <laughs> um, of course, you know, you do wear the number seven shirt, so I've got to ask, who is your favourite number seven of all time in, you know, the men's and women's game? Oh, tough one. Mm. Um, well, again, I don't know why this happens to me, but I really love Angolo Kante for Chelsea. He was yeah. seven. He's just, he's everywhere. And also he comes across such a nice guy as well. Like he, he does, doesn't he? His teammates, whenever he scores, he's always, you can just tell his teammates are so happy for him. So yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd say him. Fair enough. I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> now, um, you know, last season you scored some pretty brilliant goals. Got to be honest, you know, <laughs> including against you know Liverpool, Bristol City, and Manchester United. I think I know the answer to this, but it's going to upset me. But I'm okay with it. I'll be fine. You know, which one was your favourite and why? Well, I'm actually going to surprise you. I'm I'm going to actually say the Liverpool goal because. Okay. It was the my first goal of the season, and I felt like it had really played a really big significance in like setting me off on a, on a good roll. And also, I've never scored anything like that before, so I'm hoping to emulate that again sometime. <laughs> but yeah, um, that was my favourite one, I'd say. But in terms of the occasion, I'm sorry, I'm probably going to say the United one, but yeah. I'll I was prepared for that one. Yeah, yeah. So, well, <laughs> fingers crossed that you score some more brilliant goals this season and the best of luck to you and the Manchester City team. Um, and hopefully, you know, as the season progresses, um, maybe not before or after a derby, but at some point we can catch up <laughs> and, and talk more about the season. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Thank you. 
So that is it for today's women's football podcast. As always, a big thank you to my guests, to Lauren and to Ollie, and of course to Manchester City's Lauren Coombs for joining me. If you want to get in touch, as always, it is podcast at onefootball.com and make sure that you head to Apple Music, Spotify, etc. to hear more from OneFootball.